This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Catholic recording artist Matt Marr. Matt is a nine-time Grammy nominee and three-time Dove Award winner. He sang his song, Lord, I Need You, at World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, for Pope Francis and three or four million people. Do yourself a favor and check that out on YouTube. Search for Matt Marr, World Youth Day 2013. That will move you, I'm telling you. But do that later, because right now we're going to talk with Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So your new album, Alive and Breathings, uh, launched in February. What's been the reaction to that? And has the title cut with the hook, If You're Still Alive and Breathing, Praise the Lord. Has that become kind of an unofficial anthem for this pandemic? For anyone that's heard it, I think the song has really ministered to them uh, during this time. It feels very strange to have written a song a year ago with that line in it, and then a year later have it so um, recontextualized. I, you know, I wrote the song. It was a bit of an anthem for me, just uh, coming out of a of a, a long couple of years. Uh, my father had passed away. I think I was still grieving his loss. Um, we had, we had moved out of our house because we were renovating it and we ended up having to knock down 90% of it. And there was kind of a time where I remember I, I, I was staring at the shell of what my house was and remember thinking two things. Um, I should probably be filming this for a reality TV show, uh, with Chip and Joanna Gaines. And then the second thing was, this feels like an allegory, uh, for, uh, a, a lot of a lot of my life right now felt like God was just sort of kind of taking things down to the studs, if you will. But sometimes that's what needs to happen in order for you to kind of for things to be uh, rebuilt stronger. You know, there were there were structural problems with the house that we never knew about. There was there were fires that were never reported, and so I we I kind of was looking at my life as sort of being this thing where God was just doing a lot of interior work. And so that song became, a, you know, just kind of an anthem for me. Um, a friend of mine, I said it this way, I said, sometimes in life you find yourself in a hole and you got to sing your way out. Fast forward a year later, the album's finally out. Uh, it's a hybrid album of, of songs that we recorded on the road and new material. And yeah, I mean, I think the song is sort of, uh, it's a reminder to people that praise, the Hebrew word for praise has seven different definitions and everyone fits a different context of the human condition. So praise is not something that just happens on the mountaintop when life is great. And it's not a form of distraction uh, or a way around our problems. It's the way through them. So yeah, I think, I think the song's been received well. Yeah. And I know that uh, there are people who are dealing with cancer and, and surviving cancer also have seen that as kind of an anthem. I saw a clip of you with somebody in a radio station 
who had kind of this has become her personal anthem like it is for you. Do you find that that then touches your heart to know that that is really getting to, to other people that same way? Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm a I'm a hep C survivor. I had hep C for 27 years and got cured in 20, 2015. So the idea of having any sort of chronic health condition and have it sort of the shadow of it loom over you. I just, I understand what that feels like on a very human level and like on a psychological level, on a spiritual level. And also the, the, the opportunity, I think because of the redemptive work of Jesus, this sounds weird to say, but the gift that it can still be, you know, God is working all things together for our good. So even something like disease, even this pandemic, there are so many stories and I think there will continue to be that even in the midst of so much tragedy and difficulty, that God is God is about a mighty work for our good, and um, you know you have to you have to draw a line in the sand and sort of make those kinds of choices. You get you know you have to look at this, and you know my sister in law, uh, my brother's wife, she had stage four breast cancer nine, nine ten years ago, and so there are these moments where you have to look at this and you have to you have to make a decision: is going is God using this somehow still for my good? Do I believe that? Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's why hope is a, is a theological virtue, uh, and a very important one. Yeah. One of the songs on, uh, Alive and Breathing is White Flag. That was one of the ones that was recorded live, like you're talking about. And you talk about surrendering to the Lord. That's your white flag there. I remember a few years ago seeing the movie Bruce Almighty. And Bruce, who is, you know, kind of playing God at this point, just realizes he's not in charge. And, and there's this great scene where he just opens up and he says to God, I surrender to you. And uh, I was amazed to see that in a, in a basically a Hollywood comedy movie, but because it was such a profound statement. Do you find that surrender to be difficult, surrender to God? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, extremely. Um, it, uh, I... I feel I feel like an actor sometimes in a movie where it's like you do a scene and they're like cut cut okay do it again do it again we didn't quite get it right there's something wrong with the lighting or there's just your performance was a little flat and sometimes I feel like that's what that's what the daily surrender of a Christian uh, must look like to God uh, keep trying you'll get it right yeah sometime. you know it's like we're stuck in Groundhog Day um, so I you know I think yeah. I, the reality of of how surrender becomes so clearly defined in specific moments and instances in our life, and I almost feel like you have the memory of those to to give you encouragement to keep going, but then they also sort of stand, I think, as a testimony to your own hypocrisy or your own humanity when you find yourself just enmeshed in failure, and they sort of stand there and and you're kind of staring at it and going. Well, I, I guess I didn't mean it, but I think, I think what you do is you sort of arrive at the fact that you're like, I meant it then. And that's all that I had. All I had was the moment yeah. of, of now. And so in this now I surrender. And that's why surrender needs to be daily because my surrender in the past, I'm not Christ. So my sacrifices don't cover for all of eternity. Um, Good point. You know what I mean? They, they are temporal. And so, you know, they need to be daily. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think we find the same thing. Trusting in divine providence is a really yes. hard thing to do. Where does the inspiration for your songs come from? And how much does scripture play into your compositions? You know, I'd say they come from the, a life of faith 
that is rooted in the in the liturgical and sacramental reality of the church. That that's who I am. Um, that's that's where I found myself the most. Was uh, and specifically, you know, after being in parish ministry at a parish for thirteen years, um, and sort of being enmeshed in in community and everything that comes with community because it's not perfect. So I would say that now that over time stepping as a single adult into the vocation of marriage and now three kids and trying to live that out and raise my kids in the the beauty and tradition of the faith having to explain things to them it um having to you know give grace to my wife and her to me that that sort of daily crucible of family i feel like now is sort of the it's the it's the fallowed ground that stuff doesn't grow and then you got to kind of till the soil and then stuff starts growing again and that's where a lot of song ideas i think come from is being being in right relationship and putting those first you know and then i studied music for 9 years in college or something so that all that you got the theory down all that groundwork's there and it's all and it's there and and you know you do need to practice but that part not 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 nearly as important to my creativity or, or my sanity uh or my just my health and well-being as as spiritual life so you know that's that's just where that's how songs you know songs come when i'm sort of focused on the when the main thing's the main thing that's good. And it sounds like things have changed over the years as you've gone from parish ministry to, to you know, being on the road and, and a single guy and, and that. Um, so it, it sounds like that's all been in development. And we see all of that in your life of faith. And that comes out in your songs. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, and it does. It changes over the years for sure. Yeah. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with contemporary Christian music artist Matt Marr. This is Chris Gunty for Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Our series of exclusive online articles on the five men who will be ordained to the priesthood for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, August 22nd, continues with a profile of Deacon Brendan Fitzgerald. His eclectic background includes being an accomplished speech and debate competitor in high school, immersion in the Spanish language in both Guatemala and Colombia, and years spent working in the seafood business that were mixed into his undergraduate studies at Loyola University, Maryland. Baltimoreans, meanwhile, are mourning the death of Monsignor Art Bastris, the retired pastor of the National Shrine of St. Alphonsus Liguori. The historic church is home to Baltimore's Lithuanian community, and, on his watch, to the Tridentine Rite Mass, 
better known as the traditional Latin Mass. Monsignor Bastris, 93 at his death, was a priest for almost 70 years. Baltimore has not been immune to the protests that have racked the nation this summer, as July 4th saw a statue of Christopher Columbus toppled and thrown into the Inner Harbor. Read about how members of St. Leo the Great, a parish in nearby Little Italy, were among the members of Baltimore's Italian-American community who salvaged the broken statue and their plans to reproduce it in a more secure location, perhaps on parish grounds. Baltimore's Department of Catholic Schools is doing something about the so-called summer slide and retention, one that may have been exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic. Read about how approximately 800 students are taking advantage of a summer learning portal, a six-week online program focusing on English, language arts, and mathematics. Find these stories and more from the team that won Maryland-Delaware D.C. Press Association News Organization of the Year for a second straight year at catholicreview.org. You can also subscribe to our e-newsletter by texting C, that's the letter C, R, the letter R, media to 84576. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with double award-winning Catholic musician Matt Marr, whose new album, Alive and Breathing, was released earlier this year. Now, just to be honest with our listeners, I've known Matt since before he got famous, when he was one of the music ministers at St. Timothy Parish in Mesa, Arizona, almost 25 years ago, Matt, if you can uh, remember that. In fact, if you listen carefully to Matt's first album, The End and the Beginning, you might hear me in the big choir in the background there. That was a lot of fun. So how did you make that leap from parish music ministry to full-time ministry singing and playing in the, you know, all around the country and the world and being based yeah. in Nashville? I, I mean, I, I don't know how I made it. I, I mean, I think I, can, I think I can look back and sort of see the steps of how, how it happened. Um, I, uh, you know, I was graduated from college in 99, you know, was terrified of being a professional Christian, um, but I got offered health insurance. And so I just thought I'll, I'll try out full-time parish ministry. And I was very fortunate to be part of a very, you know, very dynamic parish and a lot of really great people, a lot of uh, great mentors. Um, and I really kind of sensed that, that this was where, you know, God wanted me to be in 2002, 2003, in the middle, I was actually in the middle of interferon treatment for hep, hep C. The, when I first kind of found out I had it, I was writing a lot of music. At just being in this community and having gifts and talents and wanting to use them for God. And we were writing songs. I was writing songs for um, liturgical use. And then I was just writing like, you know, songs for um, just about, about life and relationships and and then we we were having these um, these um, kind of uh, praise and worship nights with kids where we were you know singing um, worship music and then having adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and that opportunity of doing that 
being part of something that was week in, week out like that, combined with, I think, being a jazz major in college and stuff, created the opportunity for a lot of song ideas to just sort of spontaneously come in the middle of leading prayer, leading worship. And I just started writing those. And then eventually, one of them was Your Grace is Enough. And Chris Tomlin heard that at a big youth workers convention in Phoenix in 2003. And I was asked to come play the song. And then Chris and his band were asked to back me up. So that's how Chris Tomlin and I met. And that was sort of when he recorded that song, that was kind of the beginning of it, of a pretty massive change. That album came out in 2004. And um, about a year and a half later was when I kind of sensed that I felt like God was opening a window and a doorway, if you will. And at the same time, I was doing a Bible study at our parish for the college group on John 17, which is Jesus's prayer for unity. And I realized two things. One, that I had never really paid much attention to that prayer, but it's one of the few prayers that Christ himself actually prays. And it's a really long one. Number two, I could help participate in agreeing with that prayer in my songwriting. And so that's what happened with that with your graces enough was I saw this opportunity to write songs that actually created common ground. And so I just started focusing more and more on that felt drawn more into that. At the same time, I remember brother Roger, who's the founder of ties a in France, ecumenical community, he had passed away and reading his obituary on a Catholic news site. I, I felt the Holy spirit say, you're going to carry part of that torch. And so I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know it mean it. You know, you're going to sign a record contract and you're going to move to Nashville. I was just kind of faithful in every step. So I started traveling, playing more youth events, kept writing songs. Uh, some of the songs started getting recorded by other Christian artists. And then I signed a publishing deal with, at the time, was EMI Christian Music Publishing, which is now Capital. And uh, they're, they're the largest publisher in the world. And they were based out of Nashville. So then I started traveling to Nashville to write probably once every couple of months and then just got more and more frequent. So by the time I got married 10 years ago this year, we've been, I've been traveling there so much. It just kind of made sense to move. Same thing with the record deal. It, it didn't happen overnight. It was a slow process. And as I felt the Lord say more and more to me about, you know, from a missional sense of just going and being a Catholic amongst Protestants, not really with an agenda, but just to be faithful to who I am, but but also write songs that that created common ground. I just saw, I, I knew God was blessing it. So I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in a, a Chick-fil-A restaurant one time and we all, we know that the, Chris, the owners are Christian and not shy about that. Yep. And they play music in the restaurants. And I and I heard your grace is enough, an instrumental version of your grace is enough. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> you know, I, that must be kind of a, an odd thing for you to, to experience if you're out and about. But I imagine that happens. It's very strange. You don't, yeah. you, that stuff doesn't get, uh, you don't get used to it. Yeah. You talked a little bit about being a Catholic in a predominantly Protestant world in Christian music. How does your Catholic faith shape what you write, what you do, how you act? Well, I think the first thing always is is um, a sense of church history in the sense that like you have the scriptures, obviously. And then as a Catholic, I think, I, well, what I would say is I think over the past 15 years, what I've witnessed and seen is how more songwriters who are Christian, if they're writing 
congregational music and they're looking at scripture, they're also looking for, aside from the word, they're looking for corresponding commentary on the word, if you will. And um, there gets to a point where you start to realize, oh, well, what so-and-so said, who's a contemporary pastor is great, but then there's this guy over here uh, named St. Augustine, and he has commentary on the scriptures, you know, or, St. John Chrysostom or, you know, the church fathers. Um, so I think history has become a big, a big, um, honestly, a very, I think, appealing thing about Catholicism to a lot of young, I don't even know if I would call them evangelicals. I think they're post-evangelical at this point. Um, you know, their, their parents are probably evangelical. That word's become so tainted by by political discourse in this country that I think a lot of them are, they don't want the word anymore. But what I would say is they're still, they look at the history, the sense of reverence, the sense of like the, the healthy sense of formality, I think to, to some extent with Catholicism. And I think they really have a big respect for it. So I think that over the years, those are the things that I, you know, I used to joke and say, uh, I steal a lot of lyrics from dead people because and a lot of them happen to be saints. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. I mean, that's the, the yeah. And, and you know, they're not really dead They're They, but they'll all have a bone to pick with me when I, when I get to heaven. <laughs> you know, I, I think that I, so I think that, I think that that's how, how I would primarily um, share my Catholic faith. It It's not so much that I have a ton of brilliant insights. I mean, hopefully you know, God gave me a gift of music. He didn't give me a gift of theology or he didn't give me a gift of philosophy. I have a, a, a love for those things, but that doesn't make me a great philosopher, but I studied music. However, I think that that's the most amazing thing about evangelization and about like sort of the, the evangelistic gift of the Holy Spirit and how he speaks through the people of God throughout, um, you know, 2000 years is that there are people who just have a, a great economy of words and what they say sticks around. So works for me. Yeah. It works for so, me too. So what do you been doing with your time now that you're not on tour, spending a lot of time with your wife and kids? Are you writing new music? What, what's going on? A little bit of everything really, honestly, I got off, I was on a tour. We did one weekend and then it got canceled and I had this sense immediately of like, Oh, this is not going to go anywhere. I'm at home. And so uh, my kids were on midterm break. So we had a staycation and we stayed home and, you know, tried to find toilet paper like everyone else. Um, and then we just, you know, we settled into distance learning because that was the thing. All of a sudden, like our entire educational system was, you know, changed overnight. And everyone who joked about homeschooling their kids, the Lord had the last laugh on them. Yeah. So the kids are out of school and we're, you know, we're just, um, there's some camps that haven't canceled. So we're, you know, kind of looking forward to those. I've got a basketball net and taught my oldest son how to do a layup. And, you know, I think we're settling into this season and open about it. I have a studio behind my house. So I've been coming back here every day and been working more and more on how to have some semblance of schedule you know, because the internet and internet usage before the pandemic started was already something that everyone was struggling with. And then we all got locked in our houses. And so it, it became a lifeline. 
you know, but it's almost like getting thrown a lifeline of barbed wire. That's what I've been calling it. So, so I think like everyone else, I'm trying to, like every other musician, I'm trying to figure out the balance between how much time do I spend on this thing, playing songs. And I write, I probably write in two or three days a week. That's great. And um, yes, yeah, so creativity hasn't, I don't think has, has stopped. My wife and I have to be careful not to try not to start binge watching too many things because then, you know, you don't get sleep and it's not good. Yeah. When you can get back out on the road, are you going to come and see us in Baltimore? Oh, I would absolutely. You know, I think that's the, the, you know, what's interesting about the internet is that from a, from a chat standpoint, it's essentially built like a two-way radio and it, and you would think with like, you know, it's like, we put the man on the moon and we can't, we can't make an, uh, an app that enables sort of simultaneous communication and connection. So for musicians, it's so interesting right now because I think the two things that I miss the most are playing music with other people at the same time. And you can't do that with Zoom or yeah. FaceTime. Um, and, and hearing other people sing your stuff. Those are the things that I miss the most for sure. All right. Well, it's been great talking with you. We have been talking today with contemporary Christian music artist Matt Marr about his life, his music, and his faith. You can find more info about Matt's music, tour dates when they're available again, and links to listening to his music on your favorite streaming platforms at mattmarrmusic.com. Thank you so much for being with us today, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. One of Matt Marr's songs, Let All the People Say Amen, was the anthem for the Notre Dame Prep Class of 2020, sung at the end of every school mass this year. So Matt sang the song, especially for their virtual graduation. He had a message for the NDP grads, and all those graduating in this unusual year. Visit catholicreview.org and search for Matt Marr, that's M-A-H-E-R, to see the video. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WJSF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us 
and keep us always in His love.